What is up, Longhorn fans? Welcome into this Wednesday afternoon edition, May 10th, 3 o'clock p.m. We are live from Austin, Texas. Live edition of the Longhorn Deep Dive, post-spring football edition. Spring football wrapped up just about a month ago with the spring game on April 15th. We have some topics today, including... We're going to be talking some quarterbacks. That's been the discussion of the offseason. Quinn Ewers, his draft stock, along with some post-spring football over-under win projections, looking at Texas's upcoming 2023 football schedule, their last season in the Big 12. I want to welcome my first guest on the Longhorn Deep Dive, my excellent co-host on the actual Raw Prospect podcast, which you should go check out. Uh, we'll have an episode coming out today or tomorrow. Uh, as the NBA playoffs go on, baseball goes on, and so forth. Emmy Nixon joining us from Austin, Texas. How are you, Emmy? I'm good, man. Happy to be here. Um, recently, obviously, we both graduated, so it's a fun time for us. Um, and I'm excited to be back doing this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to talk some Longhorn football. It's been a while. Been so busy with finals and wrapping up school. That's obviously exciting, but at the same time, it could be stressful as we had to make the necessary grades and stuff and complete our requirements in order to graduate. Um, and then I know searching for jobs in the process, although I already have a job in Houston, you're searching for jobs. Uh, so it still can be a busy time in the midst of graduating and actually finishing up school, which you never know. One day, either of us could end up going back to school. We want to get a graduate degree. We'll see what happens. But we have no time to waste this afternoon, as we both know we both have stuff going on this evening uh, or this after, later this afternoon. Uh, so let's just get right into the content here on the Longhorn Deep Dive. We're going to talk first about Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers has been, I would say, one of the main topics, of course, going into spring as spring practice began and as the season wrapped up, his performance in the bowl game against Washington, especially in that second half, there were a lot of good things that we saw after he struggled mightily in the last four games of the regular season. Although Texas did find a way to win some of those games, I think their best wins were probably obviously the Oklahoma 49 to nothing shutout. That was probably their best overall performance offense and defensively. And then obviously the, road game against the eventual Big 12 champions, the K-State Wildcats, how they were able to sort of bottle up Deuce Vaughn, who's now a Cowboy, and how they were able to go on the road and beat a really good K-State football team that ended up getting sort of trounced by Alabama, and I believe it was the Sugar Bowl. Um, but they were a really good football team. They beat TCU, who eventually went to the national championship game in that football game. Uh, I think those were their two best wins. But in the midst, uh, I mean, Quinn had some rough performances. We think about the the game on the road in Stillwater when it was really windy and uh, Texas threw the ball a lot in that game but wasn't really successful for a variety of reasons. Um, we talk about the, the road game against Texas Tech. Well, actually, you know, uh, Hudson Card was in for that game. You never know how the outcome would have changed if Quinn was playing in that game, but that was a game that Texas probably should have won even with Hudson Card, but they didn't. And then even in some of the other games, you know, the Baylor game, the last game of the season, the day after Thanksgiving, 
the Kansas game, which Texas ended up winning in a blowout, but that was mainly due to the running game and Bijan Robinson. Um, he had some rough performances. It was the it was the growing pains of a talented, very talented quarterback. In fact, maybe one of the more talented quarterbacks that we've seen come out of the high school ranks ever. Uh, but you know, you looked at the bright spots in this season, which there were a lot of bright spots. You think about the first quarter against Alabama when he got hurt. You think about the game against Oklahoma. He had some moments in the bowl game in the second half. He had some moments, you know, against K-State. When you look at the bright spots of Quinn Ewers in 2022, when you look at back at the season, there were moments where you say to yourself, oh, yeah, that's a first-round pick. If he continues to develop and take the necessary steps, that's definitely a first-round pick. But then there were also moments, and this is part of the freshman experience as a freshman quarterback at the Power 5 level, where you say, man, I don't know if that guy's even going to be drafted. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts. Um, what does Quinn Ewers need to do this season, in your opinion, based on what you saw last year, to solidify himself as a first or maybe even early second round draft pick? To me, it, it comes down to two things. Um, consistency, for one. I think some games, you know, with how good the Big 12 was, you got to be ready to play each week. And I'm not saying his preparation isn't there because we all know all these players do their due diligence with preparation. But it didn't feel like – it did feel like that in some of these um, – lower profile games he wasn't quite there mentally like he wasn't quite as sharp as he was say in the Oklahoma game or in the K-State game or in the second half of that bowl game um, so consistency that's the main thing uh, number two is I, I'd like to see him start to play make outside of the pocket more um, I think using his athleticism a little bit more um, creating outside of the pocket we have a lot of dynamic receivers and if he's able to do those things, I think the offense will become a lot more explosive within the passing game. Um, and I think it's going to need to happen because one thing that's underrated about this offseason is the fact that Texas lost two running backs who got drafted, Roshan Johnson and, of course, Bijan Robinson, who got drafted top 10 um, in the NFL draft. So with you know two young sophomore running backs in the backfield splitting carries, Quinn Ewers is going to have a lot more on his shoulders and he's going to be a lot more sharp. He's going to have to be a lot more sharp every single week. Exactly. The first thing I'll say is I have a couple points I want to make. First thing I'll say is in 2023, the best thing that can happen for this version of the Texas Longhorns is Quinn Ewers elevates himself to an all big 12 quarterback type level at the very least where he's, you talked about consistency, which I think is the biggest thing. There were times last year where he struggled with accuracy in particular, being consistent with his accuracy downfield and setting his feet. I'd like to see his mechanics within the pocket become a little better. This is where I think we year three is really where the pressure starts to begin to be applied, in my opinion, with Sarkeesian. I don't think if... They don't achieve the things that they want to this year, which we're going to talk about their expectations here in a little bit. If they don't achieve the stuff they want to this year, he wouldn't necessarily be on the hot seat like 
in danger of being losing his job this particular season because they want to have him for at least one season in the SEC. That's what they hired him for, and you don't want to risk losing a lot of these young, talented recruits that you have on campus. I mean, Arch Manning came to Texas because of Sarkeesian. A lot of these guys are committed to Sark. So I don't think if they were to fail out again and not make the Big 12 championship game or not win nine or ten games, Sark wouldn't be in danger of losing his job. But you'd start to hear the birds chirp a little bit. The boosters at Texas, as we know, they want excellence. They want to be back, per se. This is what we've been complaining about for years now. Um, and I think that consistency is the most important part, but also the maturity part is another factor. Last year, I think he was sort of immature. Uh, didn't really – I think he underestimated the amount of work that he had to put in with all the talent around him. I mean, Texas, even more so this year with A.D. Mitchell coming in and the five-star freshman receiver, Jonte Cook, and Xavier Worthy coming back, Jordan Whittington coming back, um, you know, Jatavion Sanders, who I think after like Brock Bowers next year could be the second best tight end or has the potential to be the second best tight end in next year's draft. Um, with all the weapons, even though 40% of the offense left with Roshan Johnson and Bijan Robinson, with all five returning starters on the offensive line, which is also huge, with your all-American all left tackle, Kelvin Banks, who's going to be a top-five draft pick if he stays healthy in a couple years, as he's one of the best left tackles already in college football. Um, yeah, I mean, with the young talent at running back, they don't have a game changer like B. John Robinson, unless C.J. Baxter, the five-star freshman, becomes that, which we're not going to put on him this early. They still have good young running backs. I mean, they have the pieces. So it's up to Sark to continue to put the finishing sprinkles on Quinn Ewers. And it's up to Quinn Ewers to show the next level of maturity in the film room, in the film study, week to week to week for that consistency. Um, One thing I, I want to say, though, is a lot of people are forgetting he was a true freshman last year. You know, um, I think when we say finishing touches, I think um, a lot of people are thinking, oh, he's got to be great this year or else he's going to lose, lose his job to Arch Manning, Malik Murray, whatever the case may be. Uh, but the thing is, I just think, you got to give it some time. I think early in the season, he might have some hiccups, but I think by week five, you'll see the best Quinn, the best possible um, outcome for Quinn Ewers. I think by week five, he'll be in rhythm. It's just whether or not you can get through those first few weeks with a clean record. Right. And yes, he was a true freshman. He came out of high school a year early, sat his first year at Ohio State. So he got some mental reps, came right. back to Texas where he originally committed before he went to Ohio State to play for Sark, whereas, which is where he wanted to be, closer to home. And, you know, not everything last year was his, was his fault. Of course, he had the, the collarbone injury and was out for a month. Um, probably wasn't necessarily fully healthy after that. Uh, so I think we got to give him some leeway there. I don't think he necessarily ever got back to 100%, which is why I don't think you saw him use his legs as much, which you spoke to. 
I think there was a little bit of a fear just from watching of getting hit uh, too often. Uh, he's not the biggest guy. I mean, you see him stand next to Arch and Malik Murphy, and he's the smallest quarterback that Texas has, stature-wise. But he's not small. He's still 6'2", 6'3". He's got some size, but he's not the biggest guy in the world in terms of his, like, stature. Um, so I think there was a fear of getting hit. But, yes, I do agree with you. He can use his athleticism more. He's underrated as an athlete. He's not the best right. athlete in the world, but he can move around, make some plays. I want to see more consistency setting his feet in the pocket when he makes throws. I think there were too often of times where his accuracy was thrown off because he was trying to make an incredible play and use his arm talent. I don't think you can solely rely on arm talent, even though when we talk about draft intangibles and the, the skill set that Quinn Ewers brings to the table, it screams first round draft pick. I mean, he's up there with the Caleb Williams and the Drake Mays with his arm talent and the way he can throw the ball, the many ways he can throw the ball. For me, it just comes down to consistency week after week after week, as you spoke to, and fixing some of the accuracy issues. I think that one good thing that we saw from Quinn last year was it wasn't like he was turning the ball over left and right. right. Only six interceptions took relatively good care of the ball for a freshman. There were some instances where balls could have been picked where they weren't and stuff like that. But the numbers tell the story for the most part. I think the decision-making will come. I thought the decision-making in the spring game was a lot better, similar to what we saw in the second half of the Washington game. And then as long as you just got to get the ball to your playmakers. Texas's playmakers are going to make plays, whether that's C.J. Baxter, whether that's Jonathan Brooks, whether that's Jadon Blue, those are the three backs, whether that's A.D. Mitchell, we saw him make an incredible catch in the spring game in the back of the end zone. Um, I think he'll be a difference maker. Isaiah Nayer, the transfer from Wyoming, who actually tore his ACL in fall camp last year, who didn't play all last year, he'd be more of like your deep threat. Um, and Xavier Worthy, who's led the Big 12 in yards and touchdowns the past two seasons and been a very productive player, could also be a guy that goes to the draft with Quinn Ewers next season. You have the guys in place. This is more of what I guess people are calling Sark's team. These are more of Sark's guys. And right. so um, in terms of first-round potential, I think that if – Quinn Ewers takes that next step with some of the things that we talked about. Yes, I do think he'll be a first-round pick because he does not lack for any of the talent or intangibles that you want to see. I think, uh, you know, we, we just saw a situation this past year with Anthony Richardson. He has, you know, Quinn Ewers doesn't have that athleticism, but he's got the arm talent and a lot of the things that these NFL teams covet in a quarterback. Um, and so, yeah, I think if he takes that next step, probably throws, I mean, in this offense, he should probably be expected to throw between at least 25 and 30 touchdowns, maybe less than 10 or 12 interceptions, have a higher quarterback rating, uh, and show consistency on film week to week to week, along with some of that special that we saw in the Alabama first quarter and the OU game and the bowl game, 
yes, I do think there is definitely first round written all over him if he just puts it all together. But that's the biggest question mark of this year is will he put it all together? So any any parting shots before we move on? Yeah, I I think with Quinn Ewer's progression, I think there's going to be, you know, the game is going to slow down naturally. That's the great thing about him playing his true freshman season um, and getting some of those reps and those battle scars. The game is going to slow down naturally. The question will be, what progression can he make beyond that as a leader and as a um, just just his understanding of the game and controlling the game a little bit better. Right. And I might want to have you back on the Longhorn Deep Dive where we can dive more into not only Quinn Ewers, but the 2024 college quarterback draft class as a whole. I mean, this is the Longhorn Deep Dive, but we can talk about maybe how Quinn Ewers more fits in with the draft class and how we can compare him to some of the other draft prospects. I mean, when you think about 2024 as opposed to even 2023, or 2022, or years past, 2024 is loaded. I mean, I can list probably six, seven guys just off the top of my head that are going to be, you know, really good draft prospects next year. I mean, you think about, of course, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Quentin Ewers, Michael Penix Jr., uh, really talented quarterback uh, at Washington right now, Um, Jaden Daniels possibly at LSU. I mean, there are a lot of guys – that we could be looking at next year along with, I believe I'm forgetting one that stands out, but we'll talk about that soon. Um, Let's move on to the second half of the show. Um, Right now, recently Vegas has released early post spring ball over under wind totals for all the teams across the country. And Texas is set at uh, nine and a half. Uh, so this is where a lot of the thing, Longhorn fans lie, just speaking to other, some of my friends and some of the other Longhorn fans watching uh, and listening to Longhorn Beat reporters. Uh, so I want to look at the 2023 football schedule brought to you by FB Schedules. Thank you to FB Schedules. Uh, we're going to look at the schedule. Let's first just talk about it. Um, can you see it, by the way? Yep, I can see it. Okay. Uh, it's a little small. Apologize for that, but that's about as good as we can do. Um, so if you cannot see, Rice at home, then at Alabama. This is the second half of the home and home from last year. So they do go to Tuscaloosa this year in week two. They come home, they play Wyoming, and then they start Big 12 play right away, going at Baylor, home against Kansas, and then you get Red River. Uh, and then they get their bye week. Then coming right out of the bye week, they play at Houston. New Big 12 foe at Houston. Um, that will be at, I'm not sure which stadium that will be at, but that should be a fun one. Uh, BYU right after that. That's their next new Big 12 foe. And then they finish up with K-State, TCU, at TCU, um, at Iowa State. And then home against Texas Tech the Friday, I believe, after Thanksgiving before we get to Saturday, December 2nd, the Big 12 championship in Arlington, Texas, where Texas should find itself if things go the right way this season. So just looking at that, some of the things that stand out to me that I think I talked about 
when the schedule came out a month or two ago, right before spring ball. Um, number one is they only have two road games outside of the state of Texas at Alabama and at Iowa state. Uh, so again, only two road games outside of the state of Texas. So they're not traveling far. I think that serves to be a big advantage. I mean, most of the road games are within the state of Texas at Baylor, at Houston, at TCU. Uh, and then there's one more. No, that's about it. Um, Everything else is at home. The only two road games outside the state of Texas at Iowa State and at Alabama. And notice they don't have to go to Stillwater this season. Uh, that's been a haunted house of sorts for the Longhorns the past couple of years. They don't have to play Oklahoma State. And there's one other team that they don't have to play. I'm forgetting who it is, though. But anywho, I think the line is set about correctly. I think. They're going to be, aside from maybe Alabama, they're going to be favored in every single one of these games. Um, I think the Alabama line right now, even though it's only May, is seven and a half Alabama. I think last year when Alabama came to Austin, there were a lot of people. Remember that line was set at like 20 and a half, uh, 20, 21 and a half. There were a lot of people saying Alabama is going to absolutely beat the brakes off the Longhorns. It didn't end up going that way. In fact, Texas had, if they made a couple plays here and there, they had a great chance to win that game. And I'd argue that if Quinn Ewers does not get hurt, they probably would have won the game, but we'll never know. Bryce Young is so great that we just don't know that. But they played them real close, and there was a lot of optimism after that game about the season, even though they lost. Um, this year, it's going to be a lot closer. Right now, Texas, the one advantage that they do have it going into this game, I think, is that Alabama does not know who their quarterback is going to be going into next year. They have a bunch of options, but they're still trying to figure it out. Tyler Buchner, the transfer from Notre Dame, just transferred in there, and that's a big pickup for them. But um, they still don't know. They have the freshman or the, the young guy, Jalen Milrow. They have some options, but they don't know. And regardless, that guy is going to be going through some growing pains. They have two new coordinators. Texas keeps their coordinators from last year. So I think advantage Texas in terms of continuity on the offensive side of the ball. You still have Sark. You still have your, your offensive coordinator and Kyle Flood. You still have all your assistant coaches from last year, aside from one or two. Uh, you have a returning offensive line that played in some hostile environments last year. Uh, which is why I think this game is going to be close. And I think Texas has a great chance to win if they have the quarterback advantage in that game. Because uh, Ewers has already played in some road environments like that. Not necessarily to the level of Tuscaloosa, but I think Texas will be well prepared for that game. Uh, but even if you count Alabama as a loss, I think they easily beat Rice. They'll easily beat Wyoming. And then the biggest question is, how do they perform on the road? Do they carry over the momentum that they gained at late last year when they beat Kansas and Kansas State back-to-back -back games on the road? Can they carry that over into 2023? Because um, that's where their biggest struggle has been is on the road. Coming into last year, Sark had one Big 12 road win. Uh, that's been his bugaboo at Texas is winning games on the road. Now, they had some stinkers at home as well. The TCU game comes to mind in particular. 
that was a game I thought Texas should have won, but the offense just never, never got going in that game. And credit to TCU's defense. To me, the question is, what do you do on the road? I think nine and three probably gets you into the Big 12 championship game, given that, um, you know, a lot of the other Big 12 teams have uncertainty at quarterback in a lot of other places. But I think 10 and 2 is the more realistic expectation and should be the expectation going into 2023. But if I had to put money down right now, just because some of the uncertainties that I have, I'd probably say 9 and 3 is a safe bet right now as we sit in at post spring ball in the middle of May. What do you think? Um, well, I love that we have the continuity. That's the big thing you mentioned. Um, 15 returning starters. As you said, these are Sarks guys. Um, and I just hope that his philosophy will start to come through a little bit more with these guys. Um, now that they've, they've been within the system being coached by him, um, throughout their entire college careers. Um, and, the big thing for me is can we get both units, both offense and defense to play up to standard every game? I think we had some, you know, defensive lapses at different points in the season, some offensive lapses at dif different points in the season for varying different reasons. But the, um, the mark of a elite team in college football or any, any sport really, any uh, level of football um, is consistency in its line play. And in the fourth quarter, can you make the big plays down the stretch uh, that win you football games, getting the turnover, getting the, you know, um, deep play down the field, whatever the case may be. Right. Um, momentum plays. I, I want to see that a lot more from Texas next year. Yeah, and one thing I also want to see is it's been a long time since Texas has gone undefeated in the month of September. Um, I have to do some more digging into Alabama's roster as a whole, um, and we have plenty of time for that. Although, if you really think about it, we have the rest of May, June, and then July, and we're really getting into that territory where not only are NFL training camps beginning, but also uh, fall camps for college teams are beginning. So we're not actually that far away as we would have been maybe in March or before spring ball happened, if you really, really think about it. But anywho, we're still, we still got a good amount of time. There's still room, I think, with some of the departures recently of guys that wouldn't have really seen the field. Uh, Texas does have a couple scholarship spots open still. Uh, so we could see even Sark go out and add a couple more within the transfer portal. Uh, they just picked up a defensive lineman uh, from – where was it? Uh, I'm blanking right now. They just picked up a defensive lineman, uh, interior defensive lineman. Uh, they, of course, picked up the – uh, all pro S not all pro uh, all sec safety Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. They brought on AD Mitchell, the highly productive receiver from Georgia. Uh, they they've done well in the transfer portal, uh, but you could see of course, a couple more additions maybe 
I look at the middle linebacker spot next to Jalen Ford. I, I don't think that uh, Anthony Hill, the five-star linebacker, is going to be ready right away to step into, um, you know, that that weak side linebacker role alongside Jalen Ford. But maybe by the end of the season, he could be. But maybe getting another guy in there uh, could be a good idea. I still look at edge rusher as a spot where this Texas team has really struggled the past couple of years. Uh, I think Baron Sorrell will take another step and be a possibly double digit set guy, which Texas really hasn't had the past decade, uh, which could be a big help. And he could see himself in NFL draft conversations. If that happens, he was Texas's most consistent pass rusher last year. And they, they have some young guys uh, at that edge spot, but just guys that I'm not sure that are ready ready to start right away. I look at Ethan Burke, I believe. Is he on there? He should be. Uh, Ethan Burke could be a guy that could um, step in at that edge rush spot. Uh, I'm pretty confident with the defensive line that they have right now. There's Ethan Burke right there at the buck position. I uh, look at him as the probable starter opposite Baron Sorrell. Um, and then Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat with the departure of Keandre Coburn will play on the interior. Um, but I look at them to possibly pick up a linebacker, middle linebacker. I love the secondary. This is probably my favorite Texas secondary in a long, long time. Uh, Terrence Brooks was a four-star guy that they picked up, I believe, in the 2022 class that at the end of last year shows, shows some really, really good things that I'm really excited about. Uh, safeties are good. Jalen Catalan, of course, who's, whose biggest issue has been the injuries. Uh, but when he's been on the field, he's been ultra productive. First team All-SEC his freshman year, which is about the best you can be in college football. Jaron Thompson, uh, really productive free safety. And then Ryan Watts, the transfer from Ohio State, He's going to be a guy whose draft stock could really take off this season as he was Texas's best cover corner last year with the departure of Deshaun Jamison to the NFL. Sorry, that's Bubby. Um, first inclusion of my dog on the Raw Prospect podcast. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, my point is there are some still some question spots with this roster, but the depth is as good as it's going to get. I think with a lot of the young guys that are here uh, and we'll continue to talk about it, but I think 10 and two is realistic. Texas is going to have more talent aside from maybe Alabama than anyone that they'll play as is the case almost every year. Uh, They just got to put it all together. And a lot of it comes down to Quinn Ewers, which is why I chose to pair these topics together. Cause if Quinn Ewers plays as a plays at all big 12 level, a lot of the other things in college football take care of themselves. If you have a really top-notch quarterback, if you have top-notch quarterback play, then you don't need a great defense. You, With Texas's skill, talent, and their offensive line, if Quinn Ewers takes that next step, a lot of the other things will take care of themselves, barring, of course, injury, which for some weird reason – the past couple of years, with the exception of maybe one year with Sam Ellinger, where he was still banged up but played through it, 
Texas has had an issue with quarterback injuries, if you really think about it. I mean, the Casey Thompson stuff, the Hudson Card stuff, the list goes on and on. Uh, and then, of course, Quinn going down last year. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But it's all up to Quinn Ewers. And then, of course, I think the, the path here is the path I think Texas would like to see is Ewers plays really well this year, goes in the draft coming out next year. Then next fall we get, or next spring, we get a competition between Malik Murphy and Arch Manning. Arch Manning will have another year to develop. He just, I believe, turned 18 recently. Didn't necessarily show a lot in the spring game, but I don't put, I take that with a grain of salt considering he's 17 years old and skipped his final semester of high school to be on campus and start to get reps. I really like his maturity and stuff. And then, of course, Malik Murphy, who, out of all the quarterbacks, including Quinn Ewers, had the best spring game and looked really good. We hadn't really seen many glimpses of Malik Murphy in person. He, he, in the national media, he's sort of the forgotten one, so to speak. All the attention is on, of course, Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. But Murphy, with his size, 6'4", 6'5", 240, 250, uh, he's, with his arm strength and his talent, he's not to be forgotten in this competition. So Definitely. Uh, I think you could see potentially him start next year, and then the year after that, you could see Arch. But then comes the question of, does Arch really want to wait that long? And do, is the plan really to get Arch starting the first year in the SEC next fall? Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but let's get into some parting shots. Well, first thing I'll say is um, whoever's watching, leave a comment um, about what you think Texas's um, expectations should be and what are your personal expectations for Texas. Like wh what win total would you be happy with as a Texas fan? Um, and my parting shot, um, I don't really have nothing. I'll just take it over to you. Yeah, I think this was a great conversation. I'm going to try to get more Longhorn deep dives out the next couple of weeks on a consistent basis. Of course, uh, the last two weeks of the college baseball regular season are happening right now. And then we get into conference championships and then we'll get to the college world series and the tournament and all that stuff. We'll be actually doing stuff either on our Patreon or our real podcast talking about the college baseball world series and all that sort of stuff. But Texas, Critical upcoming weeks if they want to host a regional. They're on that track right now. They have good metrics, but they need to win a lot of their upcoming games if they want to be in that conversation to host a regional, which is a place they've been really familiar with the past couple of years. And then, of course, college basketball transfer portal continues to roll. Uh, Rodney Terry continues to do a pretty good job of rebuilding this roster that lost five guys five important guys uh, this past year with Marcus Carr, Christian Bishop, uh, and some others. Um, of course, Dylan Mitchell and Tyrese Hunter entered their names into the draft pool, but could, of course, withdrew, withdraw from the draft and come back. They got Max Abe's miss. They got Caden Shedrick. There's a lot to talk about outside of just the football team. And then there's a bunch more 
in terms of roster construction and all that sorts of stuff that we can talk about. So right. with all that being said, thank you to our viewers who joined us for this live edition of the Longhorn Deep Dive. Thank you to Emmy for taking his time out of his Wednesday afternoon to come talk some Longhorn football on this Wednesday afternoon in May. And we will see you on the next edition of the Longhorn Deep Dive and our next edition of the Raw Prospect Podcast. But until then, keep your horns up, hook them, and peace out. Peace out.